0: We're going to be in James chapter 3 this morning. Uh, All of us have seen from time to time mistakes, either in a newspaper article or an online article. Uh, We've also seen the corrections that journalists sometimes issue when they make a mistake. And uh, so I thought I would share some of my favorites that I found this week, as I was thinking about the topic of speech, the topic of words. Uh, This this first one, this was just from last year, from 2022. Uh, This newspaper says, Weather forces Holmes County Spelling Bee to be moved to Thursday. So, obviously, whoever wrote that didn't win the spelling bee that week. Uh, Another one, this is a a letter to the editor. It says, Wood has the audacity to suggest that hip-hop is America's music. Composers from George Gershwin to Johnny Mercer to Paul McCartney to Stephen Sondheim probably rolled over in their graves. And then there's a little editor's note, Paul McCartney is not dead. (laughs) Uh, I'd also add, Paul McCartney is not American either. So this person got it wrong on two counts. Uh, here's a correction, one of my favorite corrections. Uh, correction, a previous version of this story misstated that Representative Ted Lieu grabbed a crowbar before leaving his office. He grabbed a pro bar <laughs> energy bar. So uh, he was not going to murder somebody. He, he just needed a little pick-me-up, a little extra energy. Uh, here's another, another correction. Uh, in yesterday's paper in Chris Cyril's Jazz Albums co- column, we incorrectly referred to Don Rendell as a terrorist when it clearly should have been tenorist. We apologize for any offense. So he's not a terrorist. He just has a high singing voice. Uh, and then one of my, one of my f- favorites probably of all time, uh, editor's note, a previous version of this story stated that the bear is a brown bear. While it is a bear that is brown, it is not a brown bear. It is a black bear that is brown. The story has been updated to reflect this. All right, so I love these partly because it's a reminder words are hard. Words are tough to get right. And the more words that you say or write or speak, the harder it is to get them right. Journalists say a lot of words, but so do we. We say a lot of words. We speak all the time. Words are hard to get right, and that's, that's a challenge for us because words are also really powerful and dangerous. Words Have built relationships and destroyed relationships. Words have created loving and peaceful communities and churches, but words have also ripped churches apart and nations apart. Words have started wars. Words are powerful, but words are dangerous. As we dive into James chapter 3 this morning, James is going to exhort us to pay close attention to the power of our words. In fact, to the extent that he's even going to say, if you can avoid talking a lot at all, you're better off. Because the more you speak, the more likely you are to say something sinful or foolish or harmful. You know, and it's interesting, as I read James 3, I thought this... In James's day, people only had to worry about the words that they spoke when they were in person with one another, the words that came out of their mouths, which is why James uses uh, the tongue as, as an analogy, as a, as a description of our speech. But in our day, the reality is it's not just what comes out of our mouth, it's also what we type. We don't just speak. We email and we text and we post on social media. And so we live just surrounded by words all the time, words we speak words we receive, and and I think often we underestimate the power of our words. And if you remember, as as we've been in the book of James, James has been challenging us to walk day by day in a way that is faithful to Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that is hostile to Jesus Christ, in the midst of the trials and the sufferings of our lives, And as we've walked through the book so far, you remember James has already talked about our words. Because one of the things he said is that when we live uh, the lives that we we do, when we live in a world where we're trying to walk with Jesus and, and we begin to feel stressed and pressured by the circumstances around us, one of the responses for a lot of people is just to talk a lot, to spout off words that are angry, words that are stressed, words that are untrue. And so James has already warned us, remember in chapter one, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But here in chapter three, he's going to take us on a long excursion where we're going to to look at the power of words, why they're dangerous, and then what we're going to need to do in order to get them under control. The essence of James chapter three is simply this, our words are dangerous, so we need God's wisdom. Wisdom. Our words are dangerous. In fact, on your own, your words are so powerful and dangerous that you can't control them just by your own willpower, by some sort of mental muscle. Your words are that dangerous and powerful that that it's virtually impossible, James will say, to tame the tongue. Instead, we need a transformation from the inside out to seek and receive the wisdom of God so that not only what we say but how we act reflects the character of Jesus Christ. This is one of the most convicting sections of the book of James, if not one of the most convicting passages in all of the Bible. Because some of you already, as you think about your speech, you can think about areas of your speech that you go, I know I need to work on that. I have a little gossip problem. I have a little problem with the truth when I'm under pressure. Sometimes I don't always say what is true. Or I have a problem with critical words, either to somebody's face or behind their back. Or I've got a problem with arguing, either in person or on the internet. I just can't let something go by if I perceive it's wrong. And so I've got to argue. Or I've got a problem with complaining. Right all of us can think of one or more areas of our speech where we would say the way that I speak in this area does not reflect the character of God the character of Jesus Christ and I need help I need transformation because I don't want to speak in a way that builds or that tears down my relationships tears down my community but instead in a way that builds it up and makes for peace and righteousness and the love that Jesus wants us to display toward one another. Our words are dangerous, so we need God's wisdom. So the first 12 verses of James chapter three, he's just going to lay out this concept that our words are dangerous, they're powerful. If you remember one thing from James three, one through 12, it's simply that, that our words are dangerous. We know this intuitively some of us have have seen this play out in our lives that that we've used words or other people around us have used words in ways that harm or threaten other people, in ways that tear people down. Uh, I I thought of a very vivid illustration from my own past this week. Uh, I used to work, I've told you before, I used to work at Chick-fil-A and I had this one manager, he was a good manager, but he He didn't like when we would ask, what should I do next? He hated when we would ask that because his theory was, you need to know what you should be doing. You need to take initiative and decide what to do next. You shouldn't be standing around asking me what to do next. So it frustrated him. Well, one day at work, a fellow employee of mine walked up to this manager and he said, hey, uh, what should I do now? And in a moment of irritation, the manager said to him sarcastically, hey, why don't you walk down to the walk-in freezer and go inside and tell me if it's cold? Well, anybody listening knows he's being sarcastic. You don't really need to do that. Well, three or four minutes later, all of a sudden he goes, hey, where'd that kid go? Sure enough, there was the kid standing in the walk-in freezer to determine if it was cold Now, had the manager not noticed what would have happened, his sarcasm in a moment of irritation would have led to a very bad situation for everybody involved. Words are dangerous. And yet we don't always take them seriously as we should. But watch how James is gonna develop this concept for us that our words are dangerous. Starting in verse one, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, Knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. All right, so James begins and he goes, hey, I don't want a whole lot of you guys to become teachers. The real reason behind that, he says, hey, teachers are gonna incur a stricter judgment. There is this principle that you see that weaves its way throughout the scripture. Our words are dangerous, partly because our words will incur the judgment of God that our words are gonna be one measure by which God will evaluate our lives. And if you're a teacher, if you're a person who teaches the word of God, you talk a lot, right? I talk a lot. Uh, This morning, I'll probably go for three or four hours as I talk, lots and lots of, I'm kidding, 30 to 40 minutes, right? But lots and lots of words. Teachers talk a lot, and they talk about eternal subjects of eternal import from the Word of God. And so James is, is kind of broadening out this, this principle, though, where he says, hey, your words are going to be a basis by which God judges you. And you just need to know nobody in human history has ever gotten their words completely correct. All throughout the book, remember, James has been saying... For those who know Jesus Christ, there is a judgment coming, not a judgment to determine whether you'll go to heaven or hell. That's decided when you believe in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. But there is a judgment coming where what we long to hear from God is well done, good and faithful servant, where we will receive hopefully commendation from Jesus Christ at the way our lives have been conducted. And James says, those who teach, those who use a lot of words will incur a stricter judgment. This is consistent with the principle of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. It says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. It's really interesting. Uh, There are a lot more passages in the Bible that warn us about talking too much, than there are passages about not speaking when we should speak. Does that make sense? Uh, You're a lot more likely to regret something you said than something you didn't say. If you think back over your life, I'm gonna guess that that's generally true of you also. You could probably think of three, four, five, half a dozen, a dozen times in your life where you go, I wish I hadn't said that. But it's a lot harder to think of times in which you said, "Uh, I should have said something. I wish I'd talked more. Most of us get in trouble when we open up our mouths. And so uh, James wants us to know that, and he goes, I just want you to understand, nobody has ever gotten this right. Think about the, the history of the Bible and some of the godliest men in the Bible who were tripped up by their words. Moses who it says in Psalm 106, is not allowed to go into the promised land because of his rash words when he got angry and he spoke in a way that that was not truthful and that was not right before God. Abraham, who lied about Sarah to save his own skin. Jacob, who lied about everything to make his life better. Peter, who denied Jesus, and spoke rashly. Some great men and women of God have been tripped up by their tongues. And James says, hey, if you've got this right, you're a perfect person. If you can control your tongue perfectly, that means you're a perfect person because the the speech we're going to see in a few minutes, it reflects what's in your heart. So if your speech is perfect, the theory would be the rest of you is perfect as well. And James says, I don't want you to go around talking a lot, especially about stuff you don't know a lot about, because words will incur the judgment of God. Matthew chapter 12, he says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every worthless word they speak. That should send a chill up your spine. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus says it. Our words are part of the basis of how we will be judged. If you don't have to talk then, James says, you're better off keeping it shut. Words are dangerous. Words are powerful. They're a basis for God's judgment. So words incur God's judgment. But also, James wants us to understand that words direct our lives. Words direct our lives. James now is going to use four analogies in a row to describe the power of the tongue. Uh, If people ever ask me why I use a lot of illustrations and story, I can always go to James 3 and say, James uses four analogies right here in a row. So we understand the power of the tongue. He begins with this one, verse three. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows how heavy a full-grown average horse is. I looked this up this morning. Uh, They're roughly 1,000 pounds. A 1,000-pound animal you can control with just a little bit right there in its mouth that you pull on with straps, and it moves that giant animal wherever you want it to go. He says, that's like the the tongue in your mouth. That's like your speech. It controls the course of your life, whether your relationships are good or bad, whether the course of your life is godly or ungodly, is blessed, as James would say, or not blessed, like the bit in the horse's mouth. He He goes on, he says, look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. The rudder of the ship, that little piece of wood or metal that steers the boat might be uh, one to two percent of the size of the entire boat. Compared to the size of the ship, that rudder is tiny, and yet the pilot can take that giant boat, wherever he wants it to go, just by using that little rudder, just by directing that little rudder. The idea is that our tongues, our mouths, they direct our lives. The words you say direct the course of your life. And all of us have probably had experiences where we said something that we wished we had not said, and then a situation got out of control in a way we could not anticipate that one uh, word of gossip or slander, one lie, one unkind word led to relational and personal consequences that we couldn't seem to get back under control once we'd spoken them. Uh, I was remembering this week, several years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, somebody uh, confided some information uh, to me that I wasn't supposed to share. But a couple of days later, under some pressure from a third party, I shared the information I wasn't supposed to share. I'm not proud of it, but most of us have done this at some point. I shared this information. Well, the person I shared it with shared it with other people who shared it with other people until eventually it got back to the person who originally shared it with me, who then traced the leak because he had only shared it with a couple of people and he initiated a meeting with me and said, did you share the information that I told you not to share? And you know what? In my panic, I said, I don't think so. (laughs) So I went from gossip to a lie. And then I walked out of the room and I felt shame and guilt and discouragement. And so the next day I went back in and I told the truth about what had happened to the person who had confided in me. And at that point, I felt embarrassment. And there was a little uh, reduction in the trust in that relationship. You see what happened. The words led to consequences that led to consequences that led to consequences. You can't put them back in the bottle once they're out. And so James says, be exceedingly careful, our words direct our lives. So he uses the horse's bit, he uses the ship's rudder, and then he goes on and uses a very vivid illustration. He says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Wow, this is a powerful image. He says a little spark can start a giant fire. And if you say things that are inconsistent with the character of God that produce anger or mistrust or untruth amongst those around you, You can set something in motion that you can't control. When I read this, I'm going to tell you what it reminded me of. It reminded me of a public service announcement, an ad from when I was a kid. Some of you will probably recognize this. I actually uh, tracked this down this week. I want you to see. This is what this analogy reminded me of. Nine out of ten forest fires are caused by little fires. Matches, cigarettes, campfires, trash fires. And if you've been watching this commercial, you know who causes the little fire. You cause little fires. Who causes little fires? You cause little fires, right? So some of y'all remember that and in the the classic versions, of course, of the ad, uh, Smokey the Bear would come on at the end and go, only you can prevent forest fires, right? The idea is a little spark, a little flame can produce something out of control, something that rages wildly and destroys an entire forest. That's the imagery that James is using. You speak... When you shouldn't speak, you say what you shouldn't say. And he says, even our words can be set on fire by hell itself. Do you remember uh, when Peter told Jesus, hey, you're not gonna go to the cross. You're not gonna die. That's never gonna happen to you. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter's not Satan. But in that moment, his words are consistent with the thoughts of Satan. That's what James is saying. That, that There's this stark distinction between words that honor God and words that dishonor God. Our words can start a fire that, that damages our relationships, our friendships, our churches, our communities. Let me just give you one example in the area of marriage. There's been a lot of research done on the power of our words In our marriages, there were a couple of researchers a number of years ago named Cliff Notarius and Howard Markman that studied this area of how uh, our speech, our words toward one another, affect our marriages. They either build up our marriages and make them stronger or they rip our marriages down. They developed what they called the Zinger theory. Uh, And a zinger is simply something negative that you say to your spouse. Uh, You never want to do anything fun. That's a zinger. You always embarrass me at parties. That's a zinger, right? Those types of things are zingers. Here's what they found. One zinger can undo 20 acts of kindness in terms of its effect on your relationship. Think about that again. One out of control sentence. One negative, harsh, judgmental, critical sentence can undo 20 acts of kindness. Think how long it takes you to do 20 acts of kindness. That could take you a month. You clean the house, you bring them flowers, you do the dishes, you put the kids to bed, you say a couple of nice things, 20 of them undone in an instant by a zinger. Now, here's the other thing they found that I found fascinating. They looked at the difference in couples that stayed together versus couples that divorced over the long haul. And here's what they found, the difference in the way they spoke to each other at the very beginning of the relationship, like on their honeymoon. They found that, that the healthy couples 10, 15, 20 years later, about 5% of what they said was, was zingers, about 5%. So everybody has this problem to some degree. That should make you feel a little better. But what they found was of the ones who had a lot of problems and split up, 10% were Zingers at the beginning. 5%, 10%. That's a small difference, isn't it? Just a few more positive words and a few less negative words changes the course, the trajectory of a relationship over 10, 20, 30 years. Because they found over decades that gap widened that trust was lost and damage was done. Your words, my words, can direct the course of our lives, of our relationships, and even of our communities. The last illustration he uses for this is in verse 7 and 8. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. So he says, if you think you can get your tongue under control, you can still talk a lot and you can just muscle your way to better speech. You're fooling yourself. No one can tame the tongue. Except, we'll see, God in heaven. And so James wants us to understand our words are dangerous, right? Because they incur the judgment of God. They direct the course of our lives. And then he says here in this last little part of 1 through 12, they also reveal what's inside of us. They reveal our hearts. Start in verse 9 with me. With it, that is with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of In other words, you see this contrast he's making. You praise God, but you curse the image of God. People who have been made in the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So again, a number of illustrations right here at the end that a fountain doesn't send out both fresh and bitter water. That is from the source. That's where the water comes from. If the water is fresh or if the water is bitter, that tells you what kind of fountain you're dealing with. If the water is salty or the water is not salty, that tells you what kind of source you're dealing with, what kind of water source. A tree is determined by, you determine the type of tree by its fruit. Right? So, uh, this is why Jesus says it this way. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. In other words, your words reveal what's inside of you. And so, James says, There's this real inconsistency in our lives and in our hearts when we praise God on the one hand, we come in on Sunday morning, And we sing, you are my living hope, hallelujah. And then we get out on the road, going home, and somebody cuts us off. And the words that come out of our mouths are cursing rather than blessing. Or we go home and our spouse or our kid says or does something that sets us off. And so we launch with harsh or angry words. Or we walk out in the foyer and we learn about somebody's troubles Or issues, and we just can't wait to share it with the next person as long as we swear that next person to secrecy so they don't share it with the next person. Right? Or we can't help but argue and fight with people made in the image of God. He says these things should not be that way. What we must realize is that our words open up what's in our hearts. You do not have refuge. In the idea that that's that's not really me. I said that, right? I know I said those words, but that's not really me. Jesus says, no, that is you. Your words come from your heart. James says the same thing. Whatever is inside is what comes outside. This really highlights, though, the, the problem. Our words are really dangerous. And the real problem we have is we can't just clean up our speech. I know for some of us, sometimes we go, look, I've got a little problem with profanity. I just need to clean that up, right, to tidy it up, like sweep it away with a little broom. And James says, it's a much bigger problem than that. There's something in your heart that has to change. What has to change are the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart And the only way that happens is through the power of the wisdom of God. So James says, yeah, our words are really dangerous. They can direct the course of our lives in ways that we don't want them to, they can damage our communities, our families, our marriages, our friendships. They're dangerous. They they show what's inside of us, and so the, the solution is not just to try harder to be nice, but the solution is to seek the wisdom of God. We need God's wisdom. Follow with me in verses thirteen to eighteen. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So let me pause for a second and mention, James says, if you really want to show that you're you're wise, you're understanding, the the way to do that isn't by standing up and instructing a bunch of people. The way to do that isn't by always trying to prove that you're right, that you know stuff. Instead, if you're really wise and understanding, you're not going to begin with your mouth, with what you say. But instead, you're gonna begin with, with what you do, how you treat people, how you act toward people. Do you act in a way that is peaceful? And he's even gonna dig deeper, and he's gonna say, really where you're gonna begin is in your heart that flows to your actions, that then flows to your words. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Look at verse 14 now. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Just like he said in the previous section, this is the type of wisdom, the type of speech, the type of attitude that doesn't reflect the values of God, but actually reflects the evil of Satan that is set on fire by hell itself. If you're bitter, you're jealous, you're ambitious in your heart, you always got to be right. You always got to prove how great you are. You always have to come out on top. He says, don't don't lie against the truth and convince yourself you're really wise. Well, I had to say all that stuff to them because they needed to hear the truth and I'm the only one that knows what's true. You're fooling yourself. He says that type of wisdom that has to climb over other people's backs to be on top, that's not from above, that's from below. It's earthly, it's natural, not spiritual. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. It produces chaos. How many families have descended into chaos because of a parent who could only say critical words rather than encouraging words? How many churches or even cities and towns have descended into chaos and disorder because of the words of somebody's mouth? who had to prove they were right, who had to prove they knew more, who had to prove they were wiser than everybody else, who had to show how cool they were, whatever it may be. He says that produces disorder in every evil thing. But then he goes on, he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a beautiful verse. If you plant a seed of peace, he says it'll grow a tree of righteousness. What is righteousness? This, this right relationship and right action. One to another. That is, we have these communities now of peace and of righteousness and harmony. And where does it start? That instead of sowing a seed of discord with what I say and with what I do, I sow a seed of peace that grows into a tree of right relationships and blessing in the body of Christ and in the communities around us. James is telling us fundamentally there's two types of wisdom, and one of them isn't really wisdom at all. It's arrogance, it's pride. It's the wisdom that says, I think I know what to say, what to do better than anybody else. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 8 when he's talking uh, in the context of people using their spiritual gifts to build themselves up, to make themselves more important. He says, knowledge makes arrogant or puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. In other words, if you think you know a lot, and so you just, you just have to tell everybody everything that you know and how important you are, you, you really don't know what you need to know, which is that our relationships of love matter more than proving ourselves with our words. He's gonna say later in 1 Corinthians, famous passage, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I can be really, really smart and speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't say what I say in a way that reflects the love of Jesus Christ toward other people and the truth of Jesus Christ, then I'm just nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I was not in the percussion section in the band in high school, but I did play saxophone in the band. And one of the problems when you play saxophone is sometimes that they put you right in front of the trumpets, and the trumpets are always louder. It doesn't matter how loud you play. And so there was a season of time when I was in the band where the saxophone section, our mission in that band was simply to to overpower the trumpets. That was it. We weren't concerned with playing beautifully. We weren't concerned with with playing in harmony with the rest of the band. We just would grab our saxophones and just, like as loud as we possibly could. Because we needed to win. Right? And I still stand by that decision, actually, to this day. (laughs) I'm kidding. But a lot of times that's how Paul says we approach our lives. How many arguments have you gotten in with your spouse or your kids or a friend just because you're just like, I need to prove that I'm right. I cannot yield. Well, James, when he talks about this, he says, actually, the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, gentle and reasonable, literally willing to yield. That is, even if I think I'm right, sometimes it's better to yield for the sake of the relationship. Even if I think I know something you don't know, so I'm gonna reveal information that I know that maybe I shouldn't say to prove my own knowledge, I I need to pull back because my goal is love as reflected in Jesus Christ. James says to speak without love, Paul says it too, to speak without love, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You have a lot of knowledge but actually you're lying against the truth. Isn't that interesting? You could speak something that is factually true in a way that is actually a lie because it's not consistent with the character of God. So so what do we do then? Well, I think James tells us here. He says, we need to seek the wisdom from above. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Where does this good fruit come from that will transform our speech? I think this is what Paul in Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit. How do we seek the fruit of the Spirit? We come before the God who made us and we ask for his power and transformation through the Spirit who dwells in us. We begin with this idea of God, I need you to change my heart and my mind if I'm gonna have a prayer of changing what I say, it has to begin with the heart. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're saying, hey, I'm gonna try to wrestle my speech to the ground just by willpower, James says, you can try, just, just know nobody's ever done that. The only way to have a transformed tongue is to have a transformed heart. And that means that begins by knowing God in Jesus Christ. That when you believe in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life, the spirit of God moves in. And now you have the capacity that you did not have before to rely on God's spirit for a transformed tongue, for the wisdom that comes from above rather than from below. If you know Jesus Christ, again, it's all well and good to have New Year's resolutions about I'm not gonna cuss so much or whatever it may be. That's great. I hope you do. But as you pursue that, to rely on the spirit of God, rather than your own willpower, that's the key. That's where James takes us. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, that is the building up of others, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Paul, in the context of talking about spiritual growth and and spiritual gifts, he says, by the way, I want your speech to reflect the fact that you're spiritual. Don't let unwholesome, angry, vulgar, gossipy, slanderous, argumentative, complaining words come out of your mouth, but only those words that are good for edification. Look at this, according to the need of the moment. This goes back to this. If you don't need to say it, don't say it. If it won't build up in this moment and encourage and draw somebody closer to Christ in this moment, don't say it. Because the goal is to give grace, to represent the grace of Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor of God to other people. That's who we want to be. So James says, you can't control your tongue. It's dangerous, it's powerful. It can take your life out of control. But God can. And we need his wisdom. And we need his power. And so as we close, let me offer quickly a few ways that we can move toward the transformation of our tongues. The first one is simply this, to pray. I would encourage you, pray every day. God, let my words build up toward, toward my kids, toward my spouse, toward my friends, toward my church community, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and in my texts and in my emails. Let my words edify and build up rather than tear down. Lord, give me the wisdom to only say what is necessary for the moment and not more. Please give me the wisdom, not just to open my mouth because I feel like I need to fill space and time. Pray, evaluate. Psalm 19, it ends with this prayer that God would reveal to the psalmist any ways in which his words and his thoughts don't honor God, and he says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Ask God to reveal, where do I need to change? You may already know. Some of you already know. But there may be areas you haven't thought about. There may be blind spots and say, God, I want you to help me understand, where do I need to grow in this area of my speech? Again, maybe it is you say, I struggle with gossip or I struggle with anger or I struggle with criticality or slander or arguing or complaining or vulgarity or whatever it is. You say, God, help me see where I need to change. I'm gonna pray for that. And then before I speak, I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna ask this question. Do I need to say this to bring grace to those around me? Do I need to say this? Or would it be better not to say anything? And then, of course, speak if necessary. I realize it might be real quiet as everybody leaves today. Yes, God gave us language. God gave us words. God spoke to us in his word. Use your words when necessary and when it will be beneficial. But ask God to help us use our words in a way that honors him from the inside out through the power of the Spirit. That's how we want to seek that transformation. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word and we are thankful that we have the privilege of speaking words. What we want, Lord, is that our words reflect hearts that honor you and that trust you and that know you. So help us. Show us those areas where we fall short and lead us toward transformation. We know that we cannot do this apart from your power. And so we we need yours. We need your wisdom. We need your grace. And so we pray for it today. Lord, we pray that our speech at home this afternoon, throughout the week at the office, our speech to one another as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, would honor Jesus Christ and reflect his character. We thank you for this time. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.